This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Probably the biggest challenge that I face is just, you know, being at work for 12 plus hours, super tightly wound, and then coming home and just having to not snap, not have that tight rope, not just snap and explode, but slowly have to let it unravel, unravel. And with three small kids who I love dearly and, you know, would do absolutely anything for in this world, it's just having the patience is my biggest challenge as a dad right now. Dory one, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to episode 45 of the Military Veteran Dad. This week's episode, before we get started, just got a few announcements. Going forward in the future, that I know I'm starting to do solo episodes, I would love to feature a listener's question from the audience. So at the bottom of the show notes, there's a link that says, ask me a question. Go ahead and fill that out and submit me a question, and we'll deep dive into that question or topic. All things are on, on the table. I will try to bring friends perspectives, do some research, bring other people's opinions other than my own. So if you've got a burning question about being a dad or anything within the life of being a dad, drop the question and we'll deep dive into it and see if we can knock it out of the park for you. Also, I'd like to invite you to join our Facebook group. That Facebook group is where I talk about being a tribe, that you can get to know me, the person behind the microphone, see what my family life is like, what's going through my mind, get in touch with me more often than just once a week when the podcast episode comes out. And as I talk about often on the podcast, we weren't meant to do life alone. And that tribe is where we are building the foundation for what we are going to have in the future, which is a tribe of military dads that can do life and share the load together. This week's episode with Ian, Ian is an army officer who's just getting ready to take over the command of a new company. And we battle into or dive into a bunch of different topics. We dive into battling the feeling of being lonely, using vulnerability to show strength, remembering the ones we'd lost, how to come home after a long day, lead by example, and listen for the small things so they bring you the big things. Those are just some of the few topics that we discussed. And there's lots of good stuff in this episode. Just a very good episode full of humble pie of share, sharing a lot of raw thoughts, raw emotions, and admitting as dads that we don't have it all together. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode with Ian Roth. Welcome to the show, Ian. Hey, how's it going, Ben? Better than good. How about you? Better than good. Yeah, I'm doing outstanding. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. And I've always, you paused there when I said better than good. And maybe like five years ago, it was probably the very first self-help book I ever read was Better Than Good by Zig Ziglar. 
And I've really taken that phrase as something to say because I got really got tired of good and fine. That's the only answer people said and they really weren't good or fine. And so I've, all, I've started saying that now. I've never met someone that said it first. But the day that it happens will be an extremely magical day that uh, it will be almost like, a, uh, I'm trying to think, it'll be a culmination of like years of me working through my own stuff because I will either have to be in a certain place, probably be it like, in Dallas, somewhere near Zig Ziglar's headquarters, where it's more likely at the epicenter that someone says it. But the day someone says better than good first will be a, a very good day. The closest I had was someone at the airport I said it to is like, oh, you sound like Dave Ramsey, who usually says better than I deserve. Um, but he doesn't say better than good, but he says that. And I was like, I'll take that as a good win that someone compliments me. That's, that's something that Dave Ramsey would say. Yeah, seriously. I've, I've never heard that in my life. So I'm going to I'm going to you can put that in my toolkit new, and say new, that. And I, your new command. I, I'm going to say it to someone. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to say that on Tuesday morning to the first person who asked me. <laughs> Go ahead and say and be, let that be the motto of your new company, better than good. Better than <laughs> That's not a half bad idea. I'm going to write that down. I think we're, <laughs> we're in uh, the hunt for a new motto anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what better, better start? Because often I find that other people need to hear it more than I need to say it. And if anybody's in a funk because they're not expecting it, it is a kind of like a mini little jolt of electricity to jolt them out of their mood. And one famous time where I said it, it was at the grocery store and she was an older checkout lady and she paused for a minute and she's like, you know what? I'm better than good too. Like she had that pause for a moment and reflect like, you know what? It's pretty better than good for me too. That's awesome. Yeah. Spread the good word, man. I love it. I'm spread and I just haven't had any reflected back yet. So <laughs> once it happens, it'll be a good day. Well, Ian, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Our friendship is fairly new and our friendship comes to us from Tom Hart, who yes, was on Tom. our podcast about a month ago. And I was just recently on his podcast last week and he said that we needed to know each other. So I'm glad that we uh, both started some fear and decided to get, get you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And Tom, I know you're going to listen to this. Thank you, my man, for connecting the two of us. So go ahead and unpack a little bit about your family and what it looks like right now. Yeah, so uh, just a little bit about myself, Ben. Currently active duty Army here in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Have a wife, been married for seven years, three kids, ages five, three, and two. A girl, a boy, and a girl. Been here at Fort Campbell for the last two years and living on actual Fort Campbell proper and just kind of in the army life 24 seven, not only me, but my wife and kids are exposed to it just with the other military families around in the neighborhood. So, uh, yeah, like you said, I'm getting ready to start company command in the next week or so. So looking forward to that, although it's going to be very, very stressful, looking to get a lot out of it, looking to have a lot of fun with it. And as we were talking the pre-interview, I'm going to dive right into a hard question for you, if you don't mind, uh, bring it. Uh, so in the army, you are part of a large half a million strong fighting force surrounded by men, surrounded by teamwork. What you were talking about still that feeling of being lonely. Go ahead and tell us a bit about that. So just being around army people, army guys all the time, even in our neighborhood, just talking to these other army officers, NCOs, what have you, having conversations with them always turns back to the army somehow trying to talk about football, trying to talk about interests, trying to talk about hobbies. And I'm just having such a very personal level outside of the military. So, I mean, at the same time, it, it is a very lonely feeling 
in the sense that like what I'm looking for, the, the stuff that, um, that makes me feel good and fills me up is talking about is getting to know people on, on that more personal level. And we're human beings. We have other stuff, other interests outside of our job. But uh, I mean, the military, army, air force, Navy, coast guard, Marines tends to do that because we're very macho. We want to be, you know, show our masculinity, talk about the, just the, that stuff all the time. So yeah, it, it is very lonely for someone who has other interests outside of work. And I absolutely it's gonna get a little it. bit more lonely because you're going to be the CEO. So you're going to be a little bit, you're going to have that. It is <laughs> that invisible firewall that says you're the, the inhuman person that always has it together and can't share a real moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I can just from being around the company, the way that people look at me, even as I'm getting ready to go into the seat is that way exactly that you described. So, I mean, how do I, how do I kind of get away from that? Well, I need to find other people who are in similar positions, which there are, and I've spoken with them a couple of times, but I think the most important thing that I can rely on and fall back on in times like that is my family, is my wife. And so if you're feeling like I am having a strong family structure and strong family foundation is paramount to thriving in your life. And I mean, not going crazy too. So you have some human, emotional, personal contact somewhere in your life because as human beings, that's something we absolutely need. Yeah. So currently, do you have anything like that you that you're currently setting up to be in that moment where you have someone to support you? Or is it one of those that you're kind of aware of it right now, but you still haven't figured out how to fill it? I'm aware of it right now. And these are some pretty deep conversations I've had with my wife, but I've really been using like LinkedIn to explore and try to find people like you, like Tom, um, like my friend John on there. There's just people who I can talk to on like a, on just a friend level because I don't know about you, but it's just like it, leaving college, leaving high school, it's just hard for me to make friends, like, like friends nowadays as an adult. I mean, mm-hmm. God forbid if I ever had to like date again, which I hope never happens. Like I, I would just be completely lost. But through all of that, I can imagine that you've talked about it being lonely. You've talked about that need to connect with other people. The one thing that I've learned about leadership and it's the opposite that I think is the military version of it. But I think in a time where the military family has never been more in a deeper crisis, that vulnerability is something that I think, and this is still, I've never been a military officer, so it's coming from just my outside opinion, but vulnerability is something that I wish more people led with in the military, sharing some vulnerable story about their family or just making it safe to talk about family. Because when you share human emotion, I think as any leader, you, most people think that that's a sign of weakness. And I would say the military validates that excessively. But on the, that every person in that uniform is a human being, just like every person outside of the military is a human being. They resonate when you show those real moments of vulnerability that, that this person's human. And that that moment to breathe and say, I don't have it all together in some ways is a little bit of that first step that um, helps someone, a dad come home or help someone maybe prevent themselves from committing suicide or realize that if this guy, the commanding officer for our company can share a vulnerable story, uh, then maybe I could too, because it's one of those like lead by example, but it's not the way that generally the military talks. Um, because I feel like dads 
love talking about being a dad. I've had some dads on this podcast that you just get them going and wound up about being a dad and they can't stop. And if dads could figure out how to just get past that ego that you don't have to ignore the most important part of your life or the part that brings you the most joy while you're spending so much time in the military. Um, I mean, probably the only time we really have connections as a military family is maybe when you're deployed and you're swapping pictures of your kids to share stories about who misses who the most. There's just no real good vulnerability with military members of the family that can, and I think, I'm sure they do exist if you're in a military community and it probably happens more overseas because military families need to stick together more. But right. probably on the state side, it's it's more it's easier to segregate themselves, and and military families don't always have to stay together. Oh, right, uh, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And uh, there there is a fine line of showing vulnerability and and showing strength. And I don't think that I've I don't know. It's just very hard. Uh, you, you make a great point that because the military and the job really discourages you to show weakness and you have to be strong and show strength and show decisiveness at all times. But your soldiers are human and they know they have human emotions. They want to see you show human emotions and geez, I mean, it's just, it's just hard to do. And I I don't think I'm just trying to think of the type of leader I am and the type of leader I plan to be in this new role and just I think I'm expected to show strength and expected to to be the example of what right looks like at all times. But if there ever is an opportunity to show some vulnerability by telling, you know, a story to my soldiers, maybe to show them why you shouldn't do something, if that can connect with them in some way. Yes, I think there's absolutely, that would be a huge advantage to show that I'm a human too. And I've made mistakes in the past. I'm not this just strong ironclad person all the time. And I think if done correctly and if, and if done with tact and at the right time, I think that could be extremely effective. Yeah. And even like probably around the holidays is a nice appropriate time where everybody goes on 96 is to reconnect with their families or they just yep. to get away from it all. Um, and the, the one thing that I've really talked, we, we haven't talked a lot, but when it does come up is that when we talk about suicide, that, the, the military trains you that your, your emotions will get you killed, but emotions are the one thing that helps you understand why you feel such a way. And if you keep suppressing them, that's why you come to one conclusion that your family's better without you. And so there's like these small little cracks or, um, but a lot of times it's more on denial. I think that the military doesn't acknowledge the, the detriment to holding back your emotions, especially at peacetime, not maybe not peacetime, but when you're in the rear that, um, there's that's the time to process what you're feeling and to to recognize that these are normal feelings, not that they're not meant to be suppressed, they're meant to be understood. And I think maybe even if it's not with me sharing my vulnerability, I mean just telling and and harping upon my soldiers in my company that I mean, if you guys have any sort uh, of negative feelings, you need to talk to somebody. It's not a sign of weakness to go talk and seek professional advice for this stuff because it's all branches of military. I mean, the, the suicide problem is just abysmal. And I mean, God forbid that I ever got that call that one of my soldiers decided to do that. I mean, talk about showing some vulnerability. I think that would just absolutely destroy me as their leader and just that I would have failed them so terribly that I, you know, I, I couldn't prevent that in some way. So 
as a leader, just, you know, tell your, tell your folks, tell your soldiers to get help if they need it. It is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength, a hundred percent, a sign of strength to seek that help. If you can identify that you're having those feelings. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in our pre-chat, you didn't mention it, but I'm sure based on our conversation so far that it resonated that when I, when I gave the advice that if you lost someone overseas or really every one of our brother in arms that didn't come home from overseas, like they gave us dads a gift to come home and be the best dads we can be. And to be the best dads we can be, we need to be an emotional being that can connect with our kids. And you can't connect your kids if you're holding all your emotions in. Yeah, you can't. I mean, something that truly humbled me when I was in Afghanistan this past year, and I think while we were over there, there were about 10 or 12 U.S. service members who were killed in action. And people I didn't know, people from all walks of life, people in different branches of service than the U.S. Army. But I mean, that just seeing that and I mean, that just tore me up inside that those men and women couldn't go home to their kids and made and me. And there's the kid out there that never gets to feel the father. <sighs> yeah, again. I, I just, uh, it's, it's just terrible. I mean, it, I would just, it just, it tears me up and, and seeing that and, and bringing back those memories. So yeah, you're absolutely right. People have given their lives overseas so that we, we can come back to our country with our, to our family, with our kids. So we need to not let them have given their lives in vain, but make the best of the opportunity that they gave us to come home to our families. Mm, like it's, it's our um, defining moment that when one of our brothers that we know, or even when we don't know, when they, when they make that sacrifice as a person that served in the military, we carry the burden of making sure that sacrifice is never in vain. And the, being a dad is one of the best tools to make sure that sacrifice is never in vain because you can create some amazing human beings in this world if you give them your time and attention. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, and just when my kids are a little older, being able to tell them that and share that with them, like, look, Amelia, look, Scott, look, Sophia, there were, I served with people who I didn't know overseas and they gave their lives so that we could have, you know, what you're sitting here looking at and, and all of us talking today, they gave their lives so that we could have this. So you need to respect that. You need to be grateful and never forget those sacrifices that those those people uh, made for us. Mm -hmm. Let's maybe unpack a little bit about what's a challenge that you currently face as a dad today. Probably the biggest challenge that I face is just you know being at work for twelve plus hours, super tightly wound, and then coming home and just having to not snap, not have that tight rope, not just snap and explode, but slowly have to let it unravel, unravel. And with three small kids who I love dearly and, you know, would do absolutely anything for in this world, it's just having the patience is my biggest challenge as a dad right now. I can easily see how that happens. And it happens to, I think, most adults because of how high wound society is generally. Um, and there's just so many things demanding our attention in 2019. It's, it's a little bit uh, funny what's sad that it, human, the human pe people have never had more, especially Americans, have never had more time in the history of humanity because we don't do our own laundry. We don't do our own dishes. We don't even have to go to Target. We can literally park in a uh, parking lot and have them walk it out to us. We can have anything pretty much in the world to us two days on Amazon. 
And yet at the end of the day, we still don't have enough time. And that part of patience, I think you, you hit on a part that it struggles for every military dad, veteran or post, because if you don't process, there's usually it's like this tension of feelings that those feelings are maybe telling you that maybe for one person, it's telling you that your time is up in the military, but you don't want to admit it. And if you're not processing that feeling, it's always going to redirect in somewhere else. And the one that has helped me sometimes when I get like this is I really just have to frame it that they're looking for me to model what right and wrong is. And I'm 35 years in this world and my kids, my oldest is seven. And as a 35 year old, I should be able to control my emotions better than a seven year old. And she's trying to figure out how to be seven, just like I'm trying to be out 35. And so I really have to just frame it, let a lot of go. I always remind myself of that frozen movie of just let it go because sometimes you can't have control. And that's usually where I think military dads get hung up on is we expect control when we win from, especially as a CEO, you have control over your entire uh, group and you come home and you literally don't have any control and your wife's probably barely hanging on to a paper thread. Um, yeah. And right. you want control, but you don't. And it's that illusion of con- that actually control exists usually that gets us wound up because then we try to start using the same set of problem solving techniques that we use in the military on the family. And it's meant with violent, chaotic uh, backlash, usually. At least that's how it goes in my household. Even tonight was a perfect example of backlash. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, like why I'm telling you what to do. Like, why don't you listen? Like, pick up your toys. Why, why do I have to say it five times and you still don't do it kind of stuff? Like, well, because you're five years old, that's why. And you're a normal five-year-old and that's what five-year-olds do. Mm-hmm. And you're right, uh, taking the same stuff from work and, and bringing it home and expecting it to work is absolutely not going to work because little kids are not always rational human beings. They're little kids. They're trying to figure out the world around them. They're trying to figure out life. So yeah, yeah. Patience is key and patience is also difficult sometimes. Yeah. And I don't know how you do it, but if there was a way to wrap up in it, maybe I don't know if you have to make it even gentler. If you were to admit what you just told me to your, to your company, that this is my biggest struggle as a father, you would probably relate to 99.9% of the dads that you would be talking to and moms probably, because I'm sure it's the same for both sides. Yeah. Uh, That it's a very safe vulnerability, but it's one that validates that you have things that you aren't in control and that you're working on every day, which then everybody can recognize that there's things they're working on every day. And that as long as you're growing, you're not dying. And as long as you're growing, you're okay. Yeah, that's a good point. And just to kind of hit what you just said, the only person that you're, that you're competing with or should be competing with is the person who you were yesterday. So Mm -hmm. as long as I'm getting better every single day and I'm better than the person I was the day before, if I'm just a little bit more patient today than I was yesterday, you know, that that's a big win. And I, I agree with you, what you said. Absolutely. That would probably be a good, uh, in the appropriate setting to kind of open up to the company because I know most of the soldiers in there are parents and like, Hey guys, this is something I struggle with. I'm sure you guys struggle with it too. And it's not military related. So that probably makes it, it's just, it's safer because it's not like you're losing any respect from a military command point of view. You're just sure. talking from the point that being dad is a universal fundamental part of being human and everybody has these thoughts, but no one's willing to talk about it. And if, if you're willing to talk about it, that says something to them. Yeah, that would start a, probably a, a great dialogue. Just It definitely know, would signal a change, even just from a mental health change, or maybe how the previous uh, company was, was ran and 
wow, that this guy didn't just come in and give us this uh, America's awesome type speech and we're the leading tip of the sword type speech, but talked about like what really matters in their hearts. Yeah. Coming back to what absolutely. we talked about being a heart centered leader. And that, that goes a long way and that goes a very long way. So let's talk about something that you feel like you've mastered, something that was a challenge, but that you've moved through. Related to anything, being a fatherhood dad, or being anything, fatherhood. something that you know that other dads may be out there struggling. Maybe it's career, maybe it's work-life balance, something that you've took as a struggle and now you feel like I've got this under control. It's a win category. Uh, a win category. Well, I can tell you, I used to be a lot less patient, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> well, that that's probably a win and still something I'm working on. And then you had most, more kids but, and then you had to up, then you had to double down. I know, I know. We, and then you're like, what was I, I thinking? I blink my eye and then there's three little kids running around. Like when, when, why, how, I don't understand. What were we on when we decided this was a good idea? Seriously. It, all within three years of each other. Like, like the oldest one was still in diapers when two kids after her were born. Like, wow. Oh my goodness. But no, seriously, uh, the deployment really put, put a lot of good perspective in, in everything because I was away from my family, really couldn't even talk to them on the phone or FaceTime for nine months, nine solid months, because the internet over there was so terrible. So I did, well, I still don't have the patience that I want, just the, I appreciate just being in their company a lot more than I did before I left. I think before I left, it was June of last year, 2018. I mean, my, my stress was just through the roof. Like I was just so anxious and angry all the time. And then just having that nine months for, for me to miss them, just kind of put it in perspective and like, wow, I, I don't, this is terrible. I love my kids. I'm so lucky that I have kids. I'm so lucky I have a wife who loves me and stays at home with these three kids and puts up with them and loves them so much. Like I'm just so lucky. So guys, if you're listening to what I'm saying out here, you know, be grateful for what you have because there's a lot of people, a lot of men who maybe don't have a wife who loves them or having a hard time finding someone to love them or someone who's married who wants kids, but is unable to have kids for whatever reason. So if you're a dad out there and you have kids, be grateful because they're really the best thing that can ever happen to you. And, and you're just so lucky to have them. And no matter what life throwing at you, no matter how many poopy diapers are literally going in the diaper in the trash bin at the same time, there will always be a moment where that moment is the one you want back. Yeah. No matter true. how bad it is, no matter what's going on, life continues, the seasons move on, your kids grow up with different problems. And when they're asking, uh, about how to break up with their first boyfriend, you're going to wish for that poopy diaper. And you, ha you haven't gotten there yet. Have you? <laughs> no, I have not. Uh, okay, good, good. But uh, like I, I'm preparing myself that even in the heat of the chaos now, these are little problems that are training you for the big one. So give yourself some grace, practice when it's easy. Um, and one that I often talk about with my daughter or just ha having dialogue with my kids is, make sure you always listen to your kids when it's the simple things. So that way they come to you when it's the hard things, because if you're not listening when it's easy, then they won't bring you the hard stuff because they tested you when you would have the easy stuff and they know the answers that you just weren't there to listen. Yeah. And if you are always overreacting for everything and you're a yeller for the stuff that's little, 
when something big happens, they're not going to come to you because they know Fear how you're going to react. Programmed there. The f- exactly. The fear is going to be pre-programmed. Then they're going to hide stuff from you. And what you want to build is, is an environment of, you know, authority. I'm your parent, but at the same time, love and more importantly, respect. I, and trust really. I want you to trust me to come to me and tell me what's going on in your life, knowing I'm not going to overreact and yell at you. So, so we can fix the problem. You know, it's, don't try to hide stuff. It's yeah. I want, I want to know what's going on. I'm not going to, I'm not going to yell and scream at you, but I want to, I love you and I want to know, and I want to help you when I can. That sounds like great advice for any second lieutenants just starting out. Uh, yeah, I might have known one of those, one or two, uh, a couple of those back in the day. So <laughs> you yeah, could have easily swapped out everything you did there for some type of like officer credos of what you should do and what you should embody and uh, how you want your unit to function. Yeah, oh, it's so funny. We're getting a brand new uh, second lieutenant in my company in November, and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. So let's. There was one thing that I've had a couple times dads unpack a little bit. How did you come home and uh, deal with the time warp that when they left, they were X. And then when you came home they were Y and it was just like uh, time, it was just on fast forward and you like, you don't realize it as a dad that every day happens and you progress your maturity as a dad of dealing with things. But when there's a gap in fatherhood, you come home and it's like a slap in the face every single moment because you're not ready for it. So I think that my adapting to that was the opposite. I came back and my kids were all better behaved and like they, because they were so young and they're, they're all so young and close together that those nine months, that those nine months of me being gone, they were able to like get out of the baby phase and the toddler phase a little bit. And like, I came back, they were able to do more things on their own. They were able to, you know, talk a lot more and just kind of be a little bit more self-sufficient. So I came back like pleasantly surprised and it was awesome. I, I was like blown away by how much they grew. And I would say that I missed a lot of it, but, but I mean, they were so much like so much more self-sufficient than they were before I left. So like the, the behaviors and different things that didn't, that part didn't trigger you in a different way that like when I left, they were X and now it's different. Like, so it was more like the kids were ready to be wait for dad to be home and you didn't have to, they weren't necessarily putting a space between you and them for my youngest who was, who just turned one when I left the day I left, she turned had her first birthday. She was a little standoffish at first. Um, but the other two were not, I took about, I don't know, maybe two or three weeks for the youngest to kind of warm up to me and kind of remembered who I was. And then we're fine. And now we're, we're the most similar her and I between my three kids. So it's like, we're just kindred spirits again. And you know, like nothing ever happened. So that was really the only struggle. And it was just kind of temporary couple of weeks when I got back. When you came home, did you go through, I've had one dad describe coming back from military with their marriage that there's the honeymoon phase and there's the coming home videos that you see on the internet. But then there's like a two month period where that starts to fade. And then you start getting into reality. Did you ever have to deal with that transition with you and your wife or was it fairly seamless? I wouldn't say it was seamless, but it was, um, the honeymoon phase was there. Absolutely. The pictures and just the bliss being able to see each other, hold each other, touch each other was there. But then kind of, she had her routine when I was away for 
for nine months. And I was kind of, you know, me being excited to be home, wanted to be around them all the time. I kind of was interjecting myself into, into her routine and the kids routine, kind of stirring the pot a little bit and really getting in the way. Um, wasn't trying to, but I just like, I, I didn't be helpful or you I wanted, like to, you be wanted helpful. to repay the debt that she gave. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Took out while you were gone. And really I was just more or less getting in the way because she, I mean, the woman is just a, a beast, like had three kids, um, ever like was just doing everything and came home like, wow, I guess you really don't need me because you got this stuff handled. You had it handled for the last nine months. So there was a little bit of friction there, but something that we just had a lot of talks about arguments about, unfortunately, but something we really had to make a conscious effort over the months afterward, after that, and and kind of come over it and get back on the same sheet of music. Was there a piece of advice you want to share for other dads that might be going through the same? Yeah, if uh, if you're getting back, I mean, you're going to be excited, and that is totally normal. You're going to want to be around your kids. You're going to want to be around your spouse. But, I mean, remember, they had a whole life without you in it for the last six months, nine months, a year. And if you just throw yourself in there right away, there's going to be some friction and it's going to be a little bit of a rougher transition. So respect what your spouse had going on when you were there and just kind of slowly ask if you need, if your spouse needs help, slowly try to interject yourself in there. So you're not just hitting it all at once. And getting in the way because I mean that just really increases the stress and it makes the transition a lot rougher. Mm-hmm. Did you? There's two things that I've I've given advice from I, not having gone through this, but just through the collective experience interviewing dads is making sure that you because I think there's two sides of the coin. There's one where you want to be involved in their processes because your wife did create an entire ecosystem that didn't rely on you there's an entire process system that does involve you being there they want you there but they had to do without you so they learned to do it and you have to meet them where they are and there's other side where i think some dads probably come home and they try to disrupt everything that she created and bring them to their way that i'm home now it's back to my rules but you really need to meet your family where they left off and where they are at currently and i think the other part that helps close the gap is figure out what life was like and just ask good questions and, and go on date night and just listen for everything. Cause there's nine months of things that she's probably wanted to tell someone, but the only person that was able to listen were kids that would just scream back at her. Yeah. Um, and by approaching that curiosity of what life was like, I think you can almost maybe reignite the flame to what was there before and then start rebuilding it again because instead of you going with what maybe what you went through, it, you're making it about her. And when you make it about someone else and you just start listening, that's really where you can start to build even just a normal connection. Starts in the same way of listening two times more than you speak, using the universal ratio that God gave us, that having two ears and one mouth. Right. Yeah. I mean, just maybe not even related to coming back from deployment, but I mean, we as dads in the military, you need to make time for your spouse. You need to consciously carve out time where it's just you and your spouse sitting there 
having a conversation without kids around just you like one-on-one conversation, whether you get a babysitter and go do that somewhere else, or if you carve out time once the kids are in bed to just talk about life, to talk about each other and just keep that, that really keep rekindle everything. Because if you don't do that, I mean, it is very, a marriage, especially in the military is just very, it, it's difficult to be successful at. I mean, the, the divorce rates for U.S. service members are extremely high. And if you're not making an intentional effort to have a successful relationship with your spouse it, and you're in the military, it's it's going to be very difficult to make it work. So you need to carve out the time. You need to you need to devote that to your spouse and 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 just spend that time together on a regular basis. You talked about something in our pre-interview about that I said that always kiss your wife first. Expand a little bit about what that meant to you when you first heard those words on that episode that I mentioned them. Yeah, I mean, and I, like we were talking about, I, I always thought of this, but I never, I never really was able to connect the dots and, and say it's as elegantly as you did. But I mean, we as as dads, we absolutely love our kids, and society tells us that we need to do everything put our kids before everything in our lives, you know, oftentimes including our spouse. But at the end of the day, your kids are just with you temporarily. You're, you're training them, you're raising them to go out and essentially do what you did, you know, get married, get a job, move out of the house and be independent. And, and who's going to be left with you after all that happens? Well, it's going to be your spouse. So, uh, and say in one scenario, if you always put your kids before everything else, that who's going to be left with you is the person that you kind of always put on the back burner for the last 18, 20, 25 years. And then your kids leave and then you just kind of have this stranger in your house who kind of may, may have fallen out of touch with over the last you know couple decades or so. So you really need to put your spouse first before your kids because i mean i know society kind of shuns that and says everything should be about your kids all the time but your spouse is the one who's going to be there at the end of the day your spouse is the one who's going to be there in 20 years 30 years after your kids are out of the house and have their own kids it's going to be you and your spouse so you have to play the long game you have to put the time into that relationship because that's the relationship that brought you the kids in the first place more than likely and that's the relationship that is going to remain once the kids are out of the house. So extremely important. I love how you said that. You have to kiss your your wife first. It's just it's just awesome, man. And the one I would like add to that is, or to strengthen that point, is what began the beginning will be there in the end, but only if you can consciously choose to reflect on what it was in the beginning. I think for moms, as stay-at-home moms, I think it's probably even a little bit harder because they are prioritizing the kids because that's their world during the day. And if there isn't that intentional attention towards the mom, then she's always just going to be almost more seen as the babysitter versus the person I chose to do life with. And yeah, reminding and the part and military makes this even worse than the civilian job is that the military service is a noble sacrifice under most circumstances that people view it as. But at the same time, it's not more noble than your than your family. And if you consciously say that what I'm doing what I'm doing is worth the sacrifice, my family understands. There's a debit card and a credit card that you're borrowing from there, and it's okay to borrow it from it. Like especially when you come back from nine month deployments, you don't focus on the next 
deployment, you focused on repaying that debt that you borrowed while she was gone and trying to get it back to zero before the next one. Yeah, because the next one's always going to come. So, uh, and when the next one comes, you don't want to, you don't want to be some other place in the world wishing that you would have repaid the debt from the last one where you're just going more in the hole right now. So, I mean, don't live your life with regrets ever, but especially when it comes to relationships with your family and your spouse, I mean, your spouse is your partner is the one you chose to be with for the rest of your life. They're hopefully going to be there all the way until the very end. So you need to, you need to put that person first and, and repay those debts. So, and if, where did you first, as we wind a little bit back, when did you first start to recognize that you, you were able to make a change in your life? Cause a lot of dads, I think, believe they have no choices that they had the free choice to join the military and then their choices. end. And in most cases, in some cases they do because the military chooses what to do, but there's a moment where you become like self-aware that you can, I am control of my own choices and the choices I made have gotten me here and I can make new choices. Where were you at in your life when you started to recognize that you could write your own ship? I think I was about like 24 or 25 or maybe, maybe late twenties. I had a boss was in the civilian world. I was a reservist up until two years ago. Um, and he, uh, in this certain job, we had to deal with union workers. And like, I was, you know, young, getting fired up about stuff. Uh, I think from what one of the workers said to me and, and my boss sat me down, I'll never forget this and said, don't let what other people do control your emotions. And that's something that has stuck with me like ever since then. And that's how I try to live my life every day. I don't want to let other people show that they have power over me through, you know, making me react and, and act certain ways. So that was like, like I, I would look down on my body at that time and saw like, Oh my goodness, I've been doing this my whole life up until now. Like why, why am I letting other people run my life? Letting other people, you know, make me react certain ways. I, I choose how I react my emotions, unless something tragic happens, you know, my, my emotions are a choice and, so ever since then, probably late 20s, I've been very deliberate in, in how I choose to react to things and how, how I show my emotions. And, and when people talk to me and say things to me, I, I'm very deliberate in, in what I do and what I say back to them to, to show like, hey, I'm, if I'm going to get mad, it's going to be because I'm choosing to get mad, not because of something that you've said to me to make me mad, stuff like that. So. Yeah, you that's realize you're holding the key to your number one problem, right? Like that advice yeah. oh, right uh, there, gift yeah. wrapped with a bow. is or the whole patience thing. Oh, I know, man. There are two sides of the same coin um, that uh, just separated by about 30 minutes of this episode. <laughs> no, and, and you know, I have, I've thought of that too. But my wife and I have had these conversations. It, 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 that is what it is. But it's just like my kids, I don't know. Like my kids are just able to maybe probably because I love them so much. And that's not a that's not a cop out or it probably is an excuse, but like, like, Oh, like I love you kids so much. Just listen to me, please listen to me. I know what's best for you. Little babies. Listen to me. I have but, a different take uh, on it. If you're interested. Oh, I'll, yeah, absolutely. That generally I feel kids are a mirror of our worst vulnerabilities or the things that we suck at the most and they will poke them and poke them and poke them. And oftentimes when a child makes you react, it says more about you than it does about them that they're making you react in one of the catechisms that nobody else knows about, but somehow your children's know to poke there and it hurts. And so generally I, I try to use those as like indicators that 
the way that I react and, or get triggered from my kids yelling is generally an insecurity inside that I just haven't dealt with and is that they're giving us a gift of the things that we need to work on as human beings. I'm going to try that tomorrow morning. First thing. When just process what, 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 what comes, what comes yeah, into I, your mind about like, why is this trigger me? And it usually is just, it's, it says more about you than it does about them. And they reflect it, it, it's crazy. They, once you know this, you won't be able to like think differently about it. Uh, once whatever they upset you about, it's generally, they're just really good at pushing your buttons and your buttons are things that you haven't dealt with yet. Yeah. I, I wish I could give you an argument, argument to that, man. But I, <laughs> wow. Cause even like trying to get your kids to listen, that's just like frustration. Maybe you have like, for me, I always felt like I was never heard. And so maybe my kids aren't listening or if my kids are yelling at me and I'm upset and I get angry, that's usually because I've always wanted friends in my life and I want my kids to be friends with me, but that's the opposite thing approach that I should have as a parent. And so that reflects into me issues with my own insecurities, not them. It's they're just being kids. And I feel that them being kids in the ways that usually is the things that I need to work on. This is why podcasts are so awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. And even no. more when you're a dad and you're listening, I've listened to 40 dads give their advice. Like it just starts to accumulate. And um, I think it was Tom's episode. I was like, even if you don't know what you want to do for a podcast, but you want to know more about something, just start a podcast and interviewing people and you'll figure it out because yes, you can't help but interview experts. And even if you're only like interviewing for your own selfish benefit, just sharing it, you're kind of sharing your own selfish will, but you'll learn and be a better dad just by interviewing people in that same category. Yeah, really. I mean, that was, that was mind blowing, seriously. Cause I'm like at work, I'm the most patient, chill dude, like in the world. Like I, you can't, at, when I walk in those doors, like you cannot phase me. Like I am on my game. And then like Mr. Just stone cold all the time. And then I come home and it's just like trying to pull my, figurative hair and I don't have hair, but I'm trying to pull my hair out. And yeah, you're right. I think the kid, uh, my kids just kind of trigger me and things that I'm insecure about. I mean, that's uh, like, that's what it is. I'm not even questioning it. That's what it is. The other thing to keep in mind as a detective is generally whatever they're upset about. It's usually something on the other side of that room. That's really upsetting them that they don't know how to separate the, the emotions. So a lot of times my oldest will be just burning the house down and I'll find out later when I'm sitting down in the bedroom talking to her, which I call bedtime talk, which is just like five minutes before we go to bed of random things about life and telling a few jokes um, that she had a bad day three days ago at school. And that was on the complete opposite side of the spectrum of whatever she was actually doing. So an easy one that usually happens, especially when they're younger like that. So like my three-year-old, her behavior is almost generally tied to her love tank and kids spell love T-I-M-E. So oftentimes I equate to, his poor behavior to a deficit in their quality time with dad. And uh, there was an episode in the beginning, uh, um, 10 minutes together, and she gave a very good explanation of how just spending 10 minutes with your kid and redirecting a negative emotion and saying, hey, later tonight after dinner, do you want to spend 10 minutes with daddy, just me and you? And I can't tell you how much that redirection can calm a kid down. Like, it's like a magic wand almost, like you're Merlin. And where you can like, they'll be full on tantrum and you say, you get down at their level, you look at them in the eye and you're like, Hey, 
I understand you're upset right now, but what if maybe we did 10 minutes together with daddy later? Would that make it better? And just like you snapped your fingers, poof, they calm down, they breathe, and they're looking forward to something. Um, it's, it, it's just because they don't know how to understand what they're feeling, but there's always usually something else within that emotion that they just don't know how to put words to. And usually almost nine times out of 10, it's either they're, they're trying to push a button on me because they, they figured out my weaknesses or they're just upset about something that's on the other side of the room, either through a deficit in love language or just an incident at school. Or it's oftentimes we can demarginalize kids' problems as an adult. Like this isn't a real problem to like a teenager. Like these kids in high schools aren't going to be anything that matters. And me and Tom Schwab, who was just raised uh, this week on the podcast, we talked about this quite a bit that like you have to treat their problems as the biggest problem in their world. And if you demarginalize their problem now, it's only going to break them later because they're still going to have problems that are the biggest problem in their world. And they won't understand them because these little ones are the easy practice rounds. Yeah. Like my daughter's dealing with issues on the playground and we've talked about it probably 10 times during bedtime talk. And she starts crying over this every night and just letting her talk about it working our way through it. We troubleshoot a little bit. We problem solve. That's all you can really try to do and to hopefully let those emotions or at least keep them in the same understanding that like she can understand and she's really starting to understand like she told me tonight that she has a good day, but after recess, she really is in a bad mood and it's triggered by this incident on the playground. And I don't think a lot of kids are emotionally aware to connect those events together, but I think through talking about it, we've been able to frame it together that she can actually work her way through the sequence of events of how she's feeling a certain way or why she is. So how, how did you come to find that that works? Because that's something I'm, I'm definitely going to try uh, because my oldest is very like emotional about everything. Like, like where did you hear about that? Cause that's a, a heck of oh, an idea. I don't know. I've listened to so many dad podcasts for the last oh, yeah. four years. It's almost too hard to separate. I think that one probably is just built up on the a common theme through parenting and fatherhood is just being there and not speaking, but listening. Um, and if you go in there with control, your own ideas. Um, and I've always just kind of relished the bedtime time. Like I would say well before I even had this podcast, the one thing that I felt like I was doing well was I was always just talking to them or reading them at, at bed one-on-one. And that little moment kind of grew into what I consider now is the, the, the bedtime talk and um, we haven't done it this year, but last year there was a book that we read was called someday a bird will poop on you. <laughs> and it was, it's a great children's book. I highly recommend it. Uh, and it talks about no matter how good of a day you're having, there's a good chance that a bird will some just come fly by and poop on your shoulder. And it's up to you how to choose how do you want to react to it. And there's nothing you can do about it. The bird poop on you despite your best efforts. And we would call it bird poop talk because we were talking about all the birds <laughs> that pooped on her during the day and how she reacted and what she did. And, acts of kindness that she did or an early one we did was uh, someone gave me the idea to be the rainbow to someone's storm as a philosophy of kindness. And I was like, Oh, that's brilliant. They understand (laughs) kindness, but this rainbow and storms idea, they hate storms, but they understand rainbows. And so we would talk about how many rainbows she gave away during the day. Um, So it really comes down to just kind of, and it starts with some of the simplest behavior. Like my three-year-old tonight, we talked about, a horrible dad joke that we keep repeating of why did the dad cross the road? And I say, 
to get to the other side. And then she always says, daddy, you forgot to hold my hand. Like we say that every night <laughs> and just getting them to laugh in those moments is some of the, is where it starts really is you don't go to the heavy stuff, but you just get comfortable talking to them at night and getting them to laugh with you in your presence without getting upset. And the best part about a child is no matter what happened during the day, all of my kids had some incident where I was, daddy, I hate you or daddy, you're the worst daddy ever today. But at bedtime, we were perfectly back to where we needed to be. And you, you can't take it personal, whatever they're going through, because whatever they're going through is just something they don't understand. Um, and we're 35 and they're seven. So we need to be the bigger person and give them more grace than we give ourselves. But that space is really where I find um, just, just talking to them. We, uh, there was something else I talk about a lot in the podcast of going mall walking. In the winter here, it's in Wisconsin, so it gets cold. And I don't remember where I had the idea. Maybe we had to go to Kohl's or something one day. I, walk, I parked at one side of the mall and we walked to the other. And there's some rides. So we decided to ride the rides in the mall. And eventually this kind of evolved to what we call mall walking. And they probably asked 10 times a week to go mall walking, which is the most boring activity in the world. <laughs> um, but I also used it as a time where during nap time, I would take my oldest at the time, maybe she was five. Uh, and we would just go and mall walk and we would get an orange Julius and a pretzel and we would just talk. And I wouldn't say anything game changing happened, but those little intimate moments like that where you prearrange them, those are the very first cornerstones of what you want as a relationship with your kids when they get older. Um, and I'm still in the experimental stage because we're only at seven, but to work through some of the same things that she has in the playground that I feel like is kind of the early indicator that it's going in the right direction. Or we go ice skating as well, my oldest and I. We've done that a couple of times, just her and I, when it was nap time. And like having those one-on-one -on -one connections are really some of the game-changing because they're not distracted. It's just you and her, especially with girls. Girls love their father. The, father the, the love they see from their father and feel will be the love they go out into the world to look for. And so it's very important to intentionally show up and model what love you want them to feel and make sure that they feel it and know that they're loved and that they're good enough. Because if they don't feel it, um, there's an early statistic. I've repeated it too much because someone told me to stop repeating it, but I'll repeat it one more time. Uh, that just hugging your child, your daughter, there's like a 60% chance less that they'll have sex by the age of 12. Because yeah. if they don't go, if they don't feel their father's love, they'll go out from the end of the world and find the first person willing to give it to them. So like that connection, all of it begins with just simple conversations, I think. And on the easy stuff of just telling silly dad jokes and talk, I, we talk about uh, what friends, my, my three-year-old, we talk about what friends she made at daycare that day, or maybe who pushed her and what she did and how she handled it. And um, it's just silly stuff. It's nonsense, but it's the stuff that begins the better stuff later. Yeah, that's awesome. That gives me a, a new and different perspective that I'm going to definitely <laughs> start working on. Cause I know I need to work on it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, this is what's so cool about this. Cause you're like a little further down the road than I am. Like my oldest is five, your oldest is seven. And it's like just hearing from your experience. I mean, that's what makes this so great. Like it's awesome. And I was, I mean, I almost lost my thought. Did I lose my thought? I think I lost my thought. Uh, it literally works in that, in that same, that same fashion that you just have to be there and the moments will happen. So Ian, this episode has been just as good as I imagined. And I didn't really imagine anything, but 
every episode in the Military Veteran Dad podcast, it's it, you know what the hardest part about a podcaster is every episode becomes your favorite episode. And then every week, <laughs> your favorite episode goes into the past and you've got a new one. Yeah. It's so hard to pick one because you're like, oh, this is, episode was amazing. And then next week, oh, this episode was amazing as well. And you've kind of, it's like raising a child every week almost. <laughs> it, it goes from birth to, to 12 years old or 18 years old in one week. And you've got to graduate and you've got to grow another episode during the next week and fall in love with another one all over again. Just be patient with this one because that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, patient. <laughs> uh, oh, there was something with that word patience that you... Patience. Patience. That was something related to what I was going to mention. Um, oh, perfect. Got it. Came back to me. Uh, when you're talking to them at night, it's a perfect time to apologize. So what kids are good at is forgiving. And if you did slip or whatever happened during the day and you, and you're beating yourself up inside, let it go and apologize to your, to your kids that, um, daddy didn't handle himself correctly. And this is why, and I, I'm sorry for what I, how I made you feel like that is a game. If you only take away that one thing, that is the game changer because when you show humility, they'll understand how to bring humility into their own life. But it's, it's the same thing with the military. If you admit forgiveness or ask for forgiveness from people, a lot of leaders just assume that they can be arrogant pricks and just keep on going. But the best ones go back and ask for forgiveness when they know they did something wrong. And being a dad is one of the, the it's the school of hard knocks of leadership because you got to get people you have no control over to do what you want. And forgiveness is a great one to do at the end of the day in bedtime. Yeah, I, I agree. I've, and something I wish like my parents who have made mistakes because they're human would have apologized to me as I was growing up. And yet you're, you make a great point. I mean, that's something I should do if I do slip up. I know at least my oldest would, would be able to understand what that means because we have her apologize when she does. Yeah. makes mistakes. So, I mean, that would, that would resonate with her very well. And then you're it's not above idea. the law in the same house either. Totally. Yeah. I love it. So if you want to wrap up one piece of advice that you want military fathers out there to know from your wisdom, what would you want it to be? I would tell them that, Hey guys, you're not alone. There's awesome groups of people out there who are going through the same struggles as you are. Don't struggle alone. Talk to somebody, find someone who's having the same problem. Find someone who thinks, similarly to you, or if you can identify that you've, you have a problem and, and you get triggered or just something gets you upset all the time, talk to somebody about it. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength, being able to admit that you're human, you have flaws, you make mistakes and seek the help and just try to be better every day than the person you were yesterday. And there's something I mentioned in the podcast that's worth saying every time I get a chance to say it, that we are never meant to do life alone and life will always give us more than we can carry on our own. And we need a tribe of men around us to help carry it. But we need to be vulnerable and share the load with all the stuff that's on our shoulders, not just the stuff that's safe. Absolutely, man. Couldn't agree more. Well, Ian, I really appreciate you coming on this show and giving us an hour of your time. And I know I'm positive we brought a few dads home and I wish you best of luck with your new command. And I know that they're going to be, in, uh, they have a great leader in front of them willing to take them forward. Oh, thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show. I mean, been listening to your episodes, love them. And yeah, absolutely loved it. And uh, thanks again. No problem. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. 
The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.